Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Is Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. This is Shannon, and tonight I am here with Stacy and Brooke, and we are talking about retellings, not just fairy tale retellings, but classic retellings, movie retellings, and yes, fairy tale retellings too. So we've done episodes like this before. They are a lot of fun. There are so many cool like modern spins on stories that have been written, you know, long ago. And so we're going to tell you about some more of them. Brooke is going to start us off, followed by Stacy, and I will end the round. But before any of that, we, of course, have to do the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Book Bistro Podcast. There we have our usual Facebook page where we keep track of our Wednesday reads and also post information about the Friday episodes. We also have a Facebook listener group that you're welcome to join. And if you prefer a different type of listener group, you can contact us and ask about our WhatsApp group. Both groups are pretty small, not super high traffic, and we would love to have you. If you want to get in touch with us off of social media, you can do so by sending an email to thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for our main hosting page where you can find information on the podcatchers that make Book Bistro available to you, you can find that information in our show notes. So my first book this evening is Tasting Red, The Lost Girls, book one by Holly Roberts. So I'm pretty sure you can guess um, what retelling this is going to be. But for those who aren't so sure, this is going to be Red Riding Hood. And our main character's name is Scarlet, but they call her Red. And when we first join her, she's at school and she's working hard, studying hard, and she's trying to figure things out. She has just got recently got kicked out of this other magical school that she was at, and she's determined that she's going to do well at her current school. So we're watching her do that. And then she goes to work, and she works at the Poison Apple, and her coworkers are Goldie and Cinder. And Their boss's name is Rapunzel, or Rap for short, and she calls them her lost girls. So that's kind of where the series title comes from. So Red is at work, and then she gets a call or some sort of message that she, oh, oh yeah, her grandmother calls and tells her that she'd like her to come home for the holidays, or at least for a bit of a vacation. So she takes off some time from work and she heads um, to her grandma's house. Um, her grandma 
is a baker and she's a famous baker. She makes these wonderful cookies that everybody knows about. Um, Red doesn't really want people to know her connection to her grandma. So Cinder and um, Goldie actually don't know that her grandma is this famous person. She just knows that her grandma often sent her cookies made by this famous person. They just don't really realize the connection um, because she doesn't, she doesn't, her herself doesn't have any magic. And she's, so she's very much against that part of her heritage because she's just been shunned by that society because of her lack of magic. And so she goes home and she gets to her grandma's estate and she walks in and she's looking around and she can't find her grandma. Like there was no security. And she's like, what the heck is going on? And so she, when she's going upstairs to go check if maybe her grandma's in her room, um, she is looking around the room and she realizes that there's someone in the house. So she's like, what the heck? And then, so this guy walks in, she thinks that he's one of her security. So she decides that she's going, she's talking to him and trying to figure out like, hey, do you know where my grandma is? But really like he's there to look for her grandma because he's is a bounty hunter and he's been hired by a person who raised him as a child to kill grandma. So we don't know at first why this is. So he's looking for grandma. And so he decides to follow that whole ruse and decides to tell Red that, yeah, I'm just one of her security people. And your grandma is in hiding because there's somebody after her. And I'm going to stay with you until your grandma is back and stuff like that. Because he feels that the best way to find grandma is by staying by Red's side. So they do that. Um, and we meet some different villains. There's like a, there's the first one we, she gets attacked by is a ice mage. And so he's able to save her from that. Um, and then one day when she's at school, she gets attacked by a fire mage. And again, he's able to save her. He is a wolf shifter. And he also has a special powers that wolf shifters have is if they touch somebody magical, they can actually know their magic briefly. So she doesn't know like why people are after her or why people are trying to call find their grandma. So one day when she's at work, um, Hansel and Gretel come in and she knew them from when she went to that school and they used to torment her like crazy. They're very, very strong, magical people. And they are the ones we find out that are looking for grandma. And the reason they're looking for grandma is because grandma has this new recipe out that everyone wants because it's supposed to have some sort of special properties. And I'm not going to tell you what those are because that, that'll be a spoiler. But yeah, so they're trying to find, so they're going to, they start torturing red because they happen to catch her in the alleyway and so the bounty hunter which we find out his name is like his kind of professional name is the big bad wolf he comes out and he saves her and he takes they go into they now they start trying to figure out like why are they after them because that as i said like that's why it is but they don't know right away so they're trying to figure out why are they after her, and like where is grandma 
And we also meet some other people along the way. I'm going to leave it at that. And I know that's pretty vague, but I don't want to give away anything. But I really like this book. Um, we got to meet different characters. Um, the next book is going to be Goldie's book. Um, and then Cinder also has a book coming out in the summer. And you would think it would be kind of corny that you have all these like characters from fairy tales and whatever. But I will say like this was well done. It, was, it has a lot of spice to it. But it doesn't, it's not like a wild amount of spice and it's not like any raunchy spice, but it's definitely very, very nice. I like it. So this is Tasting Red, The Lost Girls, book one, and it's by Holly Robards. Thank I love you for, oh, sorry. That's okay. I love that there are so many characters from like multiple fairy tales sort of woven into this. Me too. So I have a very long-standing obsession, unhealthy, unnatural, visceral obsession with the Phantom of the Opera. Um, really? I know. No, really? Like, it's very shocking. <laughs> I'm shocked. I mean, like people who know me don't know this about me at all. Mm -hmm. right. I never talk about it. Yeah. No. My husband is nope, the next door never. coughing into his hands and laughing at me for saying this. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Even if anyway, he thinks, sure. Maybe he doesn't it. know. Maybe I've never even told him. Maybe it wasn't him <laughs> that took me to Broadway last year to see it on closing weekend. But Ooh. anyway, I do have this longstanding, deep abiding love for all things Phantom of the Opera related. So anytime I see that there's a new retelling out there, I jump on it and I read it as quickly as I can. And tonight I'm going to talk to you about a darker retelling called, very um, aptly, called Phantom, Tattered Curtain, book one, and the author is Greer Rivers. This book is a dark romance, contemporary dark romance. It takes place in New Orleans, which is one of my favorite cities. And um, there is um, the New Orleans, oh, I think they call it the New French Opera House. Um, and it's an opera house, but also it's a music conservatory as well, um, like a, a like a college. And so our heroine Scarlet Day, um, her father calls her Little Letty. Um, Scarlet Day is going to this academy and learning the craft of being um, an opera singer. And she's been having a rough time lately um, since her father died. She. Uh, was soon after her father's death was diagnosed with um, bipolar type one and has now spent the last year uh, doing her best to manage her diagnosis and to find the medications that kind of keep the symptoms at bay for her so that she can practice and learn music. And so all of her time is spent either practicing on stage or practicing in her dorm which is very convenient for you see the family that owns the new French opera house um, has a son named Solomon who goes by soul and soul is uh, he was disfigured in a very violent way when he was a teenager. And so now he spends all of his time kind of beneath the new French opera house in a network of tunnels uh, that's been there since prohibition. And uh, he learns by accident that um, Scarlet can hear him playing music from her dorm. And as 
often happens in all good phantom retellings. He and she begin this sort of correspondence where he sends her notes and also um, music scores that then she puts her own lyrics to. And she calls him not her angel of music, my friends, but her demon of music. And anyway, so all this is happening and Scarlet has uh, also caught the interest of her first childhood love, childhood sweethearts, if you will, who's back in New Orleans after 10 years away. And so thus kind of commences this love triangle. Um, This book basically is about two feuding families um, with a young woman kind of caught, caught in the crossfire who a lot doubts herself um, when she, she often wonders if what she's experiencing is actually happening or is a result of her bipolar diagnosis. Um, Scarlet is not my favorite heroine I've ever read. I I found her uh, reluctance to face reality at times to be quite frustrating. Um, And it is a very dark retelling of Phantom. I don't want to give too much away about it, Um, but I ultimately really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed I actually enjoyed a lot about the opera house. There's also um, a speakeasy that they've kept since prohibition um, open beneath the opera house and everybody who goes in there has to wear a mask. Um, It's quite a fabulous part of the story, but basically it's your, it's, it's a phantom retelling set in new Orleans uh, between two feuding sort of mafia esque families with um, a love between a disfigured musician slash Um, enforcer and a young woman who's trying to find her place in the world as an orphan. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I just gave you a hot mess of a description, but I don't want to give too much away. But if you enjoy phantom retellings and you don't mind um, things on the darker end of the spectrum, I think you'll enjoy this. Um, There are a couple references that I found a little cringe um, regarding um, when he asks, uh, when Soul asks Scarlet to sing for him, that kind of got a little strange after a while. But besides that, and the repetitive uh, descriptions of her demon of music and his his pretty little muse, besides that, I thought it was um, an entertaining story, and I would recommend it to fans who enjoy an interesting phantom retelling. So this, again, is Phantom Tattered Curtains, book one by Greer Rivers. So sounds good. Will this pick up? Like, is the whole Phantom no, story sort of? It's nope. The next one um, is now um, a different retelling, and I'm not even sure if it takes place in New Orleans or if it's somewhere else. But oh, I want to okay. say that one is Sweeney Todd, maybe with something else oh. thrown in. So my first book tonight is part of the Remixed Classics series, which is a series of. Uh, standalone novels written by different authors where classics are taken and kind of turned on their heads in all sorts of beautiful ways. So this one is the ninth installment here and it's called Most Ardently and it is by Gabe Cole Navoa. Robin talked about this as one of her most anticipated books of January And I was pretty intrigued by it when she talked about it, so I read it. So 
this is the story of Oliver. And Oliver's not very happy with his lot in life because you see, everyone thinks that he's a girl named Elizabeth. And he doesn't feel safe revealing that he is actually a boy and that his name is Oliver. So he spends a great deal of his time at balls, wearing fancy, beautiful dresses, and doing all the things that a well-bred young woman in 1812 London would be doing. And he hates it. Like the whole time, he hates it. He hates the idea that one day he will be expected to be someone's wife. He can't imagine how that's going to be for him. So he sneaks out whenever he can, and he dresses as the young gentleman that he knows himself to be. And he's able to kind of steal some time as his true self. And when he does this, he makes the acquaintance of Darcy, who is a boy that was pretty rude to him when he encountered him at a ball, thinking that Oliver was actually Elizabeth, and they had kind of a not great encounter. But Oliver is willing to look past this once he gets to know Darcy, and this sort of makes him wonder if possibly, just possibly, his dream of living his life as Oliver like could be a reality. And eventually he's going to have to make a choice. Like, is he going to fight for what he knows he deserves or will he give in for the sake of security and sort of the societal expectations that have been placed upon him all of his life? You know, will he give in to those and live his life as Elizabeth? This was one of the best Pride and Prejudice retellings that I've ever read. I'm not a huge Jane Austen fan. I think I've said this before, um, but I have been so, so thrilled with so many of the retellings um, that have been done of her work lately. And this is a stellar addition to that collection. So this is Most Ardently, Remixed Classics, Book 9 by Gabe Cole Navoa. This sounds really good. Yes. That sounds lovely. So my next book this evening is The Sea Witch, A Little Mermaid Retelling for the Love of the Villain, book one by Rebecca F. Kenny. So I'm pretty sure you can guess this is a Little Mermaid retelling. So um, Avril is our little mermaid and she rescues um a man who she finds in like that wasn't a shipwreck and she brings him to the land and she she gets intrigued by him and she wonders if maybe he could be her one true love so she decides that she wants to learn more about him and she tries to figure out a way that she can do this so she goes to the sea witch, and the sea witch is a man, um, and we later find out that his name is Sultan, and he makes an agreement with her. If she agrees to help him with a favor later, 
that he will help her win this, like, learn more about this guy, win his love. And in exchange, like, while she's trying to win his love, she has to give him her voice. And so she does this. She goes up to, um, on land and she goes, she finds this person. She goes, gets moved into his castle. At first, when she first meets him, she's all excited and she's so intrigued and she's just so in love and she thinks this is going to be so great. And then as she gets to know him, she realizes that he's not really the guy that she thought he was going to be. And while she's doing this, she's learning, she's getting to know the sea witch. Because the sea witch comes up and teaches her things that she might not know. So she needs to go to like a gala. um, And it's a masquerade party. And so he helps her learn how to dance. And then another time she sees him, um, sorry, she sees, I can't remember his name. It wasn't, it was, I can't remember the, the, so the, the prince, the guy that she saved. Um, he, she finds him getting oral sex from the doctor, like the healer of his castle and she decides that, oh, he must really like this. So she asks the sea witch to teach her about sex and about giving pleasure to people. So so he teaches her. And she they're starting to be an attraction between both of them. And as the book goes along, we're, med- we're learning more and more about why the prince is all excited about Avril coming to her castle and he's extremely excited that she can't talk because then he can do and say whatever he wants at least in his opinion and she'll get away like um and she can't tell anybody what what his plans are and we learn why he's really excited about her and why he wants her to marry him and we also learn as the book goes along why the sea witch like what what does he want from her and we learn about she gets she learns about the bad things that her father did in the past and also about his her father and the sea witch's connection to this prince um there's connection i know i'm being really vague but i also can't i don't want to give anything away And so there's this whole connection between the three of them. And as you learn, we learn that the sea witch is not really as bad as everybody seems. And that the circumstances just kind of brought him to this situation. And I'm really sorry, but that's all I can tell you. I know it's so vague, um, but this was so good. There's a lot of spice to it. And also there's a lot of, you can tell there's a lot of connection between her um, and the sea witch. And you also get to see like his softer side of, and you get to meet some of his friends and stuff like that. So this is the sea witch, a little mermaid retelling for the love of the villain Book one by Rebecca F. Kenny.
So I bought one of her books, um, a gargoyle book that I haven't read yet, but this sounds really good to me. I'm going to have to get it. My second book of the evening is one I didn't even know I was excited to read until, and I forget who it was, so I'm sorry, my book beastresses, but somebody talked about it for um, a PIX episode a couple months ago. And so I'm going to talk to you about The fairy tale Life of Dorothy Gale. With and Mika. Was it Mika? Yeah, and it's by Virginia Cantra. And I already knew that I liked her retellings. Um, she did some really gorgeous little women retellings a couple years ago, Megan Joe and then Beth and Amy. And I loved both of those books. So this book is about Dorothy D. Gale. And D is having a pretty rough time. She is uh, she was in graduate school um, in Kansas. And she fell in love with a professor there in her department, not her advisor, but a professor in, in the department um, who she dated for a couple years until things blew up in a very spectacularly public fashion that has D feeling under scrutiny and embarrassed and really needing to get away from Kansas. And so she says goodbye to her Auntie M and her Uncle Henry and her younger sister, Tony, who she affectionately calls Toto. And she goes off to Ireland to Trinity College, where she's been accepted into their writing program. And this is a big deal. Dorothy's always been the responsible older sister. Um, her mother was a world-famous artist who left Dorothy and her younger sister, Tony in the care of just a, an ever-changing, revolving door of, quote, friends of hers uh, during, during Dorothy and Tony's childhood until she passes away when Dorothy is, I think she was like 12. And so... When they, when she and her younger sister went to live with Auntie M and Uncle Henry, Dorothy decided she had to do everything she could to give Tony a safe and stable and secure life because her childhood was just far from that. But now here she is, you know, she's, she's now moving well out of her comfort zone to Ireland to kind of start over here and to get away from what happened to her as a result of this um, male appendage that she was dating and um, she, and, and all the attention that something about him being a best-selling author, what, what that did to her. And so now she's in this new place and she's trying to navigate in Ireland and she's trying to, be what everybody wants her to be at this college so they'll keep her because everyone's kind of questioning her ability to stick it out to finish the program she gets stuck with um a very kind of witch-like advisor um days before she was to come to ireland the the advisor she was supposed to have um went off the road in her car and actually a fabricated like a, a house fell on her that she ran into. And so she's no longer able to be her advisor because she's no longer alive. And so she, there's very few advisors that she has to choose from. So she gets stuck with this, with this woman who 
is very dismissive of Dorothy and her writing and her prospects of actually her belief that Dorothy can actually make it through this program. And as she's trying to settle in, she meets a, a couple people. She meets Sam and Sam is working um, in a, in a shop and um, he's kind of known as like, maybe not having a lot of brain book smarts because um, he's working at the shop. Um, he's a very attractive sort of Irish poet to D and they begin to form a friendship. She also meets Tim who his former fiance says has no heart because she refuses to take him back. And he seems very stuck in his past. And he's a very buttoned up serious person who shows very little emotion. And also she meets Reedy and Reedy is just this fabulous young woman who is um, getting a, a degree in accounting to make her parents happy when what she really wants is to teach English to young women. And so with the help of these three friends, Dorothy begins kind of learning more about herself, learning how to stand on her own two feet and learning how to speak up for herself and to find inner strength. And there's a lot of other amazing, fabulous things that happen in this book that I'm not going to tell you because I want you to read it for yourself. If you like retellings, this book is just the most delightful. It's a very contemporary um, Wizard of Oz sort of retelling um, in Dublin. And it was just the most delightful thing I've read in a really long time. Teared me up a couple times. I love books about particularly young women finding inner strength and understanding and their own power. And that's what this book was all about. This, again, is The Fairy Tale Life of Dorothy Gale. And it's by Virginia Cantra. And oh, and for the romance lovers of the world, including me, you'll be happy to know there is a romance thread running through this book as well. Uh huh. Yes. This sounds really good. I'm definitely going to look for it. I haven't read any of her books yet, but I do have. So I have the Little Women one on my. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are so good. They're so good. Is it good. Megan Joe? Yes, yes, that's the, the first, first one. one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I have Megan Joe on my phone, but I just haven't got around to it. So my next book, and I have to say this right up front because I'm not sure that the description I'm going to give will clue you in, but this is a retelling of The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. And this is She's Too Pretty to Burn, by Wendy Hurd. And I am a big fan of Wendy Hurd, um, both her novels for adults and those that she writes for young people. This is a young adult thriller. And it's set in the summer, right at the end of summer, when everything is winding down. It's very hot in San Diego. And Veronica is bored. Very, very bored. She's a photographer. But she's kind of disillusioned by her art and just by the way her life is going. Her best friend is also an artist. His name is Nico, and he is into performance art. And they say that they are artists first and best friends second. So they're just kind of going along, not really doing much. They go to a party one night, and Veronica meets. Mick. 
And Mick is Veronica's dream girl. And there's something about her that just pulls Veronica in and will not let her go. And this is bad. Bad, bad, bad. We know this as the reader. Like, we can see it almost from the very beginning. But Veronica does not know this. But trust me, it's bad. So they start spending so much time together. They are practically inseparable. And then they start doing things that they shouldn't do. And they say that they're doing these things in the name of art and in the name of resistance and rebelling against the system. But as the reader, you kind of start to wonder if there is a different sort of darker reason behind what they're doing. And I can't really tell you what they're doing. And so I know that that's, that's frustrating. But what I will tell you is that toward the end of the book, you're going to learn about one fire, two murders, three drowning people, one suspect, and one stalker. So maybe that will give you kind of an idea of what they're up to. Um, this is a dark book. It explores toxic friendship, kind of hidden in the guise of, of romance. Um, it explores what happens when people get involved in these like all-consuming relationships and it also asks the question, how far do you go for your passion? Whether your passion is another person or a hobby, like how, how far do you go to fulfill that? I read this a couple of years ago, shortly after it came out. I think Natalia has also read it. Maybe you have too, Brooke, I'm not sure. Um, but it is very, very gripping. It's one of those books that just sucks you in from the very first page. This is She's Too Pretty to Burn by Wendy Hurd. So my third book this evening is Gilded Mess, Three Bears, number one, uh, book one, Cheeky Fairy Tales, book one by Colette Rhodes. I know that's a huge, but um, to explain why it's kind of got two serious titles. So this, The Three Bears, is two books. So it's a duology. And then book three and four are um, is going to be a Goldilocks. And they're all kind of the, related to the cheeky fairy tales because they are the main characters of each duology are friends. Um, so Rhea is our main character and she has jumped into this relationship and when we join her she has moved in with her boyfriend and there he's brought her to his cabin in the woods and as soon as they get there like within like maybe 20 minutes of them getting to the cabin he's like well i'm gonna go run some errands when he's getting ready to head off he 
but gets at his phones in the kitchen and she goes because she's kind of frustrated because she she knows nothing like she's from new york city and now she's in the middle of this forest and she doesn't know where she is and she's like frustrated because she's all excited that she's now they're now together but he's like off to do something and she feels like there's something going on so she goes and she checks out his phone and she discovers that he has gotten a message from a woman and he's going to go see her in town. So as soon as he leaves, she packs up all her stuff, which all fits in a backpack. And she decides that she's going to take off and she's going to walk back to town so that she can get a bus, a call, so call her family and then get the bus and go home because she's not having any of this crap. And so before she leaves, she decides to check out what he's got hiding. So she steals his pot, which makes it a hilarious trip that she's walking through the forest. And she steals his handgun because she decides, well, I'm going to be walking in a dark forest at night, so better have protection. And she uses a hammer to smash his phone to smithereens and leaves it in the middle of the floor. So that's how she leaves. So she takes off and she's walking and she's not very much of a nature person. So she's like kind of cringing at every sound because she's worried like what's following me. So she's walking along and then she comes across finally when she's getting really, really tired, she comes across this cottage and she decides she's going to go in because it doesn't look like anybody's there. So she's thinking it must be like a, vacation cottage or something so she goes in and she checks out all the rooms and she ends up deciding to go have a she's gonna have a bath so she has a bath and while she's having a bath she these she hears somebody come in to the house and this is when we as a reader before she does finds out we find out that she has broken in to the home of three bear shifter brothers and they can smell that there's somebody um, on their property. So one of their brother, one of the brothers goes up and they find her. And so they nicked at this point is when they nickname her, the brother Noah. I guess. Yeah, it's Noah. She, he, um, he's the oldest. He nicknames her thief. So all through the book, he often calls, refers to her as the thief. So she, he gets her out of, like, she gets out of the tub and gets dressed, but she's all like, you can get this little witty kind of uh, banter between them because she's all like confident and he's kind of like, I don't know what the gall with you, like, what are you doing? Like, you just broke into our house and you're like nonchalantly getting ready and like, shouldn't you be like getting your butt out of here? Um, like I could call the cops on you and she's like, oh, I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> like she has no, she has no fear. So she gets all ready and then she meets his other two brothers and her brother, his brothers are a lot more friendly. Um, Noah, we learn has always taken care of his brothers. Um, he's got a twin, his twin brother, Seth, and then their younger brother, Eli. And when they were young, there was a fire that 
took the lives, or as far as they know, took the lives of their parents. And since then, Noah has been taking care of the of his brothers. And he's always had this protective streak, trying to keep them safe and always worrying about like what they're doing. And so he is a forest ranger. Um, and Eli, he does woodwork. Oh, and when Goldie first came to the house, or Rhea, but they call her Goldie. They refer to her as Goldie because she has blonde hair. Um, she walks in and she sees this really nice um, rocking chair. And so she sits in it and like completely falls apart. So you get like these, you can definitely see that it's a Goldilocks retelling. Um, so as the book goes along, she gets to know the brothers. And so why she's still with them and they haven't called a thing is because she calls her brothers and her brothers tell her that they're coming and that they'll be here anytime. And the brothers, um, the bear shifter brothers they hear her story that she tells her her own brothers um her brothers are joe and i think vincent and um they hear her story and they realize that they know her boyfriend and they know something that she does not know about the boyfriend and i don't think it's a spoiler um her boyfriend is a shifter a coyote shifter and he never told her this so um, Rhea's family are um, fox shifters, but Rhea is known as a carrier, so she can't shift herself, but she does have some, like, she's able to, she has really quick healing, and so, but she doesn't have, like, the same here, like, she doesn't have a lot of the other attributes that um, fox shifters have, so... The brothers, they decide that it's too late for her to take off, um, that they tell her brothers that she, she can stay with them until they get to Alaska, where she is, and to take her home. So we get to get to know the brothers over the couple days before her brothers arrive, and she, we get to know each of them, and then there's a connection, and as the story goes along, there's this attraction between Rhea and the three brothers. And I know that sounds kind of strange because I don't know about dating two brothers, but it works. Um, they're very much their own people. There's times when there's some interactions as um, all three or two of them or one of them. So if you're uncomfortable with multiple relationships, um, relationships that include multiples then it's probably not the book for you but um this book was really good I'm so glad the next book was here because it ended on a pretty big um cliffhanger but we get to know um her what her boyfriend why he brought her to this um to Alaska um, we get to know his story, which I'm not going to tell you. And we also get to know, like, why, why her brother, um, why her ex is so interested in her. And the fact, like, why he didn't tell her. Because he obviously knew she was a carrier. So I'm really sorry, but that's really all I can tell you. 
but I will definitely, I, I definitely recommend this. It was, it was really, really good. Each of the brothers, you really get to know them. The characters are very well described, very well. Um, you get to know, they have depth and I really enjoyed it. So this is Gilded Mess, The Three Bears, book one, Cheeky Fairy Tales, book one, by Colette Rhodes. I love that this is like a Three Bears retelling because there just aren't a ton of those. My third book of the evening is a Beauty and the Beast retelling, and it is called All Duke and Bothered, Dukes and Secrets, book one by Mariah Stone. And this book was an unexpected gem. I really enjoyed it. It's about Preston Seaton, and he is the Duke of Grandhampton. And he is quite vexed, first of all, to be the Duke, but he's also very, very sad he is the Duke because it means that his older brother, Spencer, has passed away. In fact, he was killed last fall. And Ooh. after months of searching, Preston has finally figured out who murdered his brother and why. And he plans to approach this person. Now, this person, Lord Neville Beckett, is an individual who has made some questionable decisions of late. And so he has resorted to auctioning off his daughter. Now, bear in mind, this is a Regency romance. So this is a very underground affair. We don't often auction women in the Regency. Um <laughs> But Lord Neville decides that it's time to auction off his daughter to cover his gambling debt. Oh. And so Ooh. here comes Preston, the Duke of Grand Hampton, into the proceedings. And instead of paying off the debt that is owed for the daughter's hand in marriage, he shows the Baron, Lord Neville Beckett, a letter implicating him in the murder of his brother. So he is able to marry the daughter, Penelope, without even paying the gambling debt. And this leaves Penelope's father in a right pickle. Penelope is not thrilled at all that she is to be married to the, du the Duke of Grandhampton because... She had grand plans to remain a spinster and to become an artist. And even though women at this time were not allowed to study at the, I think it's called the Royal Academy of Art, she doesn't care. She was going to find a patron and she was going to paint. And she was, it was the one thing that she really made her feel connected to her mother. However, her father convinces her that the only way to keep her father safe and comfortable is for her to marry the Duke. And Penelope is a very dutiful daughter, even if she's a resentful one. And even though her father has been treating her like last week's garbage since her mother died, she decides that because he's her only remaining parent, she will do as she says, and she will consign herself to a life of darkness and sadness in an arranged marriage 
in the enormous old mansion of the Duke of Grandhampton. And Preston, in the beginning, while he may not look the part of a beast in the traditional way, he has a very beastly personality because he's so filled with rage and sadness and vengeance. And the only person where he can kind of focus this for a lot of the book is on Penelope. And even as he's trying to hate her, because not only not only did Penelope's father arrange this murder, but it was because Preston's older brother, Spencer, the former Duke, or the previous Duke, was interested in Penelope. So Preston has decided that all of this is Penelope's fault. But Penelope keeps filling his house with light and laughter and beautiful paintings. And it becomes harder and harder for Preston to decide what's more important to him, falling in love with Penelope or carrying out his vengeance toward Neville Beckett, Penelope's father. And I love this book a lot. It was a Regency romance. It didn't have any magic. There was no like having the Duke change into like some handsome prince at the end. But what I liked about it was it was a book about character development and it had all of the sort of familiar things from Beauty and the Beast. It had the father, the old father and her having to, you know, swoop in to save her father, go to the kind of dark old, well, this in this case, mansion, not old castle, uh, had a big library. So it had all of the things that, you know, I really appreciate about the, the Beauty and the Beast fairy tale, but without some of the things that I don't enjoy, like him turning back into like a gorgeous prince at the end and <laughs> things like that. Um, it was a delightfully told story. Um, I really enjoyed. It could feel a little bit dissonant sometimes, the amount of detail the author gave, but I enjoyed her descriptions of like the Almax ballrooms and like um, different gowns that people wore or like architecture of different places in Regency London. I found that to be quite fascinating. Um, so this is my first book by this author and definitely won't be my last. She has a lot of books. She has a ton of time travel books, which I'm a fan of, but also um, we need to, I'm not sure if each book in the series is going to kind of be a retelling because this is book one in the series and we still have a lot to discover before the end of it about um, about things that we learn in the plot from the first book that have to be unraveled. But, you know, if you like Beauty and the Beast retellings, but sometimes don't want all the trappings of like magic and fantasy, this is a good book to read. And again, it's called All Duke and Bothered, Duke and Secrets, book one, and it's by Mariah Stone. I do kind of like some of the historical like romance retellings of Beauty and the Beast. Um, I don't like all of them, but I have found quite a few that that I've liked. So it's time for another Jane Austen retelling. This time, this is a retelling of Emma, and this is called Emmet. So this is Emmet by Elsie Rosen, also known as Lev Rosen and Lev A.C. Rosen. Oh, I was but wondering. This, yes. But this one is written under L.C. Rosen. So Emmett Woodhouse is our protagonist. And he knows that he is blessed. His life just kind of goes along mostly the way he wants. There's not very much to stress him out. Well, maybe there's a few things. But still, in the grand scheme, not much. And so 
he knows that because life has gone his way, like most of the time, that it's important to give back and to be nice. Now, this is a part of Emmett's character that kind of bugged me sometimes because he is nice in a way that sometimes feels performative and a little disingenuous, um, even if he doesn't necessarily mean it to. Um, but in the guise of being nice, he doesn't always treat people very well. So Emmett has this theory that the human brain is not finished developing until the age of 25. And that's not like his theory specifically, like he didn't make it up, but it's a belief that he holds like very, very firmly. And so because of this, he does not date. He will not date. Because he says that any relationship that you enter into before the age of 25 is just destined to end in loss. And like, that's no good. So he doesn't want to date, but he's perfectly happy to help other people date. So I'm not sure like how that works. I guess he wants other people to have lost, just not himself, um, which isn't nice. But, you know, so he has a friend, a friend with benefits named Harrison. And Harrison really wants a boyfriend. Now, he would like it best if Emmett would be his boyfriend. But as we know, that's not a thing that Emmett is interested in. So Emmett decides that he's going to find Harrison the perfect guy. And as he starts to do this, some questions arise as far as like Emmett's beliefs and what it really means to explore issues relating to relationship, love, sexuality. And he struggles with these things because in his mind, like the answers should be clear cut, right? Like you should just know how these things are supposed to go and make them go that way. But life doesn't always work that way. And this is a hard thing for Emmett to kind of wrap his head around and, and learn. Um, this is, I think, a, a light read in a lot of ways. It's, you know, kind of a matchmaking romp um, that takes place in and out of this, what's called a candy-colored private school um, just outside of San Diego. And it is, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's fun. It's a quick read. There are a few times when it gets a little heavier, so it, it will kind of give you a bit of like gravitas along with the hijinks. Um, and I really appreciated that, especially as an adult reading a YA book. Um, I did like some of the like deeper themes that were explored here. Um, I think Emmett is a good take on Austin's Emma. Modernized, you know, bringing in some queer characters and some other forms of diversity. Um, and I, I did really enjoy it. I like Rosen's work. Um, I haven't read all of it, but I've read quite a few books that he's written. And I think he is a very, very talented writer. So if you're looking for more Jane Austen retellings, I would de definitely recommend that you take a look at Emmett by Elsie Rosen. That sounds really good. It was fun. So my last book this evening is Of Earth and Flame 
the F Ben Namur. I apologize to the author if I butchered that. By Elena R. Gallia. And again, I apologize if I said that wrong. So our main character's name is Elena. And Elena is has been the king's pet um, for a really long time. And she's been locked in a tower. And for those who... Um, I should I just start off by saying this is actually um, a Rapunzel retelling. And you get glimpses of it all the way through like this book. And I've read the second book and it's supposed to. And it stretches over five books. And it's that's like it's going to be it kind of touches all the way through the Rapunzel retelling part of it. And it says in the synopsis that it's going to be a happy ending at the end of the five, which is pretty exciting. So Elena, as I said, is a king's pet, and she's been this way for a really long time. And she's been locked in the tower, and then one day she decides that she's had enough. Um, so she has, she's, creates a plan of how she's going to get out. So she ends up escaping and she takes off running. And as she's running away, she meets Xander. And Xander really doesn't have anything specific that he needs to do. Um, he has a goal in mind as to what, like, some things that he has in mind that he would like to get done, which I can't tell you about, but we'll learn through the book. Um, but right now, he's met. Elena and he realizes she's an elf and she also he also realizes that she needs help so he agrees to help her out and try and they start journeying away and they start trying to find um where they can be safe and they're traveling and we meet different people along the way and we also they develop a connection um, between each other and in this book it's more of just like their connection kind of starting they might have kissed maybe but like it's not very much spice on um, the next book there's a little more spice and from what the synopsis says the spice level will rise and it's recommended for like 16 years and older and um, so while they're journeying she finds she gets some, some she overhears some people in some of the villages that they're walking that they're kind of traveling through that the prince is looking for her um so this is the king's son who's she was supposed to marry and also there's these different moments when things are weird things are happening and we discover that she's not just an elf, but she's a specific kind of elf that everyone thought was extinct. And there's a reason why the king has kept her prisoner. And we also learn that her family is no longer alive um, for 
and it kind of relates to why she was imprisoned. And I know I'm being a very vague, but again, I don't want to give any spoilers. And so we learn about Elena and we learn what she can do. And then also we learn why the prince is meant to marry her and why he's so determined that he must find her and marry her. And then things happen, and we also learn what that there's something special about Xander. Um, we don't learn that closer to the end, but we learn that he is a type of shifter, and that's all I'm going to tell you. But it was, I loved the connection they had. Um, I loved some of the um, kind of conflict that they had with one another. Um, I really enjoyed meeting some of Xander's friends. She has, he has two specific friends that one is a fortune elf. So he can tell, he can see the future. So often he was able to kind of give them a warning that just so you know, the prince is coming or um, we shouldn't, we, we got to try it. This is what I'm seeing. So we got to try to figure out a way to avoid that bad ending. And then we also meet um, their friend, Joe. And I can't quite remember what she, she I think she's another type of elf, but I can't quite remember what kind of elf she was. And they're just, it was really neat, the story between Xander and Joe and this other elf and why they met and like the story behind all that. And I'm really sorry guys, but that's all I can really tell you. And I know it's so vague. Um, you will definitely see that it's a Rapunzel retelling. You'll definitely be able to pick up on a lot of that. And you'll also, I, I moved on to the next book that I said, and it was really good. Like it was definitely a great addition and I'm looking forward to checking out the rest of the series. So this is a, oh, one thing I will say is um, just make sure to check the, like the warnings um, because there is some violence and some like some things that happen to Elena that are not so pleasant. So this is Of Earth and Flame, The Ephendimer Chronicles, book one, by Elena R. Gallia. I have this, but I have not read it yet. My final book of the evening is Gilded Rose, The Celestials, book one, and it's by Emma Hamm. And this was my first book by this author, and you know, to be redundant, I'm doing another Beauty and the Beast retelling. Um, no. I know. <laughs> I know. I just, it's just something about those sort of monstrous creatures. And so I'm, I'm just a fan of Phantom and Beauty and the Beast retellings. It's my, it's my kryptonite. Anyway, this book is about Amisha. And at the beginning, Amisha is hiding in the root cellar of her house as the dread rampage their way through her city and Ooh. the dread are monsters that have been set loose upon their kingdom and basically are going and taking over all the cities and what they do is they turn the humans into the dread so they are monsters like them 
And when a person is like turned zombies? into, they're like a monster. They, um, their primary, um, they're not zombies. They're not dead. Okay. Um, they can speak, but huh. they grow horns. Their legs get all whomper jawed. They get tails and oh. fangs and claws. And their goal is to rip through the, the kingdom, killing off or um, turning humans into themselves. Cool. Okay. I, I was hoping for zombies, but that's okay. Right. I'm, I, I, um, you know, I'm a zombie person. I was, I was wondering too, but no, these are the dread. Okay. And Amisha, um, Amisha lives in this city with her father, who's a clockmaker. And she lives this life that she enjoys quite a lot. She loves her father. Um, they live a life that's very much based in science. You know, he's a, he tinkers on things. He's an inventor and a clockmaker. And, you know, she's just loves, you know, learning all she can from books and growing in her garden and all these things. And when the dread decimate her city, Amisha has no choice but to run. And the only place where she can run is into the forest that surrounds the city. The city that has been decimated by the dread and that she now has to hide from as they will hunt her. And Amisha's running and running and like days go by and she's running and somehow not eating food, but still running. And <laughs> she um, makes it to this, what looks to be an abandoned chateau across an ice covered lake. And so she makes it across the crackety ice on the lake and goes into this abandoned chateau and she's kind of looking around but oh my God, it's not actually an abandoned chateau. It is basically the where all the dread live. And not just the oh. dread, it's home to the king of the dread. Oh. oh. And so Amisha spends a terrifying few days evading capture by the dread in this sort of rundown, dilapidated chateau. And the way that Amisha is able to do this is because she remembers how her father, the clockmaker and inventor, told her that in many old chateaus and many old houses, there were um, secret passages made so that the servants could yes. move within the walls. Yes, they could move within the walls to evade, like to to not be so obvious to. I think that'd like, be so cool to have a house like that. Yeah, I, I thought it was cool too until she uh, was stuck in spider webs and there were rats. Uh, lots oh. of rats. Lots and lots yeah. of rats. Okay. No, no, no. Which isn't mind. always the best. Um, but this is not a, a maintained chateau. Isn't so perhaps. Ever the best. How about. No, no. But like if, if, you know, if the chateau had been maintained, perhaps, perhaps there would be not a rat population in the walls. <laughs> so Amisha is steadily growing hungrier and more tired. And she comes upon a kitchen, a perfectly clean and spotless kitchen <laughs> full of food where one dread is working. Um, he's making like a, a meat pie. And this dread very quietly pushes a basket of food through a hole in the wall. And this helps keep Amisha going and she's able to evade the dread and stay away from the king of the dread because they know that there is one young woman who evaded them and now they are on the hunt for her. Oh. 
And when a person is turned into the dread, if I did not say this, they no longer remember their human life. They just remember from the moment they became a dread. It seems. That's the understanding. And finally, finally, there's a showdown between Amisha and the King of the Dread, who is a very terrifying red-eyed monster with claws and horns and legs that are twisted and clawed feet and all the things. And he's huge and bulging and only wears a loincloth. And (laughs) they have their showdown on the roof of the chateau from which he flings Amisha. Spoiler alert, she doesn't die. Somehow she survives the drop. And in a moment of regret, the King of the Dread, who is interested and fascinated and intrigued by this human who has evaded his capture for so long, decides that he needs to keep her around a while. And so he rescues her from the snow, you know, where he (laughs) threw her. And takes her to be um, sort of healed and watched over and nursed by the dread who works in the kitchen. Who is not like the other dread and is actually quite kind. So during her recovery, um, Amisha does a little bit more exploring on her poorly healing leg where she has to use crutches and with her broken arm that has to be splinted and all the ribs that have to be wrapped. But after a while she does indeed, indeed. And after a while she starts to do more exploring and she's very intrigued by this chateau and by the absolutely enormous library within the chateau. And through a bunch of circumstances, Amisha learns that the King of the Dread and all the Dread actually are under a curse And that he's actually what used to be known as a celestial. And perhaps she can bring peace to the world by breaking the curse on the King of the Dread. And that's where I will leave you. Um, I will say that um, I enjoyed this author's world building. I enjoyed the way she told the story. I really liked the first half of the book. Um, I had some issues with the pacing of the romance um, and also the ending, um, which was a good ending. I just, I, I like when monsters stay monsters. I don't need them to turn back into gorgeous princes with like golden flowing (laughs) locks of hair. That kind of gets to me. Um, But I, I did, if you like retellings, if you like fantasy, if you enjoy a good story um, and you know, if romance is secondary for you, I think you'd enjoy the writing of this story, particularly the first half where she's evading capture by the dreads by staying within the walls of the chateau. That part to me was extra delightful. Um, This again is Gilded Rose Celestials book one by Emma Hamm. So my last book tonight is a Thelma and Louise retelling. This is Trouble Girls by Julia Lynn Rubin. And this is the first book I read by this author, but I am definitely interested in checking out some more of her stuff. So this is the story of Trixie and Lux, their best friends. They live in kind of what they consider to be like a dead end small town. 
Trixie has a lot of responsibility. She works. She takes care of her mother, who is pretty ill. And she really just wants a weekend away. So she and Lux decide that they're going to go camping for a weekend. And it's just going to be like a, I don't know, like a reset. Um, Trixie won't have anything to worry about. She can just have fun and be a teenager for a little while. But on their first night away, something happens. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but something happens. And this one thing, this violent act, causes them to go on the run. And suddenly, there's a whole lot of attention being turned toward these two young girls. And, you know, the media is digging into their pasts and also, you know, trying to find them. Um, their families are looking. And strangers are kind of putting them at the head of what is sort of like a like a Me Too movement. That they never asked to lead, right? Like they never wanted to be in the spotlight the way they are. And so now these two friends who may have feelings deeper than friendship for one another, if they could ever like have a moment to kind of just chill and like figure out how they're feeling, they are trying to figure out what to do next. Now, these are teenagers, and so the decisions that they make are not always going to be the best. And I feel like with every wrong decision they make here, like things for them just get bleaker and bleaker. And you start to wonder, you know, how they're ever going to come out of this. At its core, I would say this is a female empowerment book. It is a book that says, you know, you're not always going to do the right thing, but doing the wrong thing doesn't make you a terrible person. You can still be a good friend, a good romantic partner, just overall a good human, even if you've, you know, done some things that perhaps weren't the best. And especially if the things that you've done that weren't the best are things you did to protect yourself or to protect someone else. Um, I would say this is not like an exact redo of Thelma and Louise. There are differences. Um, and I, I appreciate it both for its similarities in the story it tells and also for the elements that make it feel fresh and, in my opinion, more relatable than the original. So this is Trouble Girls by Julia Lynn Rubin. All right. That is all for us tonight. Thank you to Stacy and to Brooke for sharing some great retellings this evening. As always, thanks goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And of course, we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. Mm -hmm. 
If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.